Hey, welcome to the very first episode of Trail Break Radio, the new Winter Wildlands Alliance podcast. I'm David Page. And I'm Emily Scott. We're kicking off this new channel with a nine-part series bringing you a range of compelling conversations from our 10th biennial grassroots advocacy conference. David, before we dive in, maybe set the stage. Tell us a little bit about the conference. It's a long tradition, something Winter Wildlands Alliance has been doing for 20 years, almost as long as the Alliance itself has been around. Every two years, hence the word biennial, we host a gathering of grassroots partners from all over the country. Local advocates, athletes, conservation folks, wildlife folks, public land managers, brand partners, and others. People who care about winter recreation and conservation. We move the location around. We've done it in an old Sierra Club Lodge in the Central Sierra in California, at the American Mountaineering Center in Golden, and even in downtown Boise, Idaho. We even did it on Zoom in 2021, which was not the same. But this year, this past fall, we had the pleasure of hosting the conference in person in Colorado at CU Boulder's Mountain Research Station at the edge of Rocky Mountain National Park. Picture A long, bumpy dirt road up to wood cabins, yellow aspen groves, the first frost covering a rustic log meeting hall, and also a lot of rain and mud, too. It was an inspiring place and an inspiring gathering of people, talking about a whole range of important issues that impact the places where we like to get out and recreate, like wildfire and recreation, nature-based climate solutions, equitable access, transit, overcrowding, athlete activism, ski resort development, wintering wildlife, and so much more. And what's also cool is that we recorded some great audio from the main panel discussions. Thanks to our conference sponsors, Outdoor Alliance, Mighty Arrow Foundation, and REI, we're able to share these discussions with all of you who weren't able to make it up to the end of that dirt road. Our first episode, proudly sponsored by Dan Bailey's Outdoor Company in Livingston, Montana, features a particularly remarkable individual and longtime friend of Winter Wildlands Alliance, Connor Ryan. As the indigenous person in the room, uh, it's really weird sometimes when you're on a Zoom call and everybody's got to do the land acknowledgement of where they're at. And you're like, "Uh, I'm here on my traditional homelands. (laughs) I'd like to acknowledge myself and my mom. Connor is a Lakota skier based in Boulder, who's on a journey to connect his cultural heritage with his love for the mountains. He recently co-directed the film Spirit of the Peaks, a great film, very worth watching, which Connor will talk about in this episode. You can find a link to it in the show notes on our website. It's a powerful story about being a better relative to the mountains and to the people who have called them home since time immemorial. So for quite a few years now, we've been thinking a lot about the concept of land acknowledgement how to genuinely and respectfully acknowledge the deep history and often brutal context of the places we care about without it coming across as merely performative or worse, straight up tone deaf and offensive. Which is why we invited Connor to open up the space for us, not just to help us acknowledge whose homeland we were on up there below the so-called Indian peaks, but also to help us set the tone for the entire event, to challenge us all to remember and honor what and who came before us, and to be better stewards of these special places for the sake of generations that will follow us, seven or more into the future. Connor's journey is an incredible example of the kind of stories we're eager to share here on Trailbreak Radio. I can't wait to dive into his story and learn from his expeditions. 
So stay tuned and make sure to subscribe to Trailbreak Radio at winterwildlands.org, Spotify, or Apple Podcasts. We've got a lot in store for you this season. Yes. Before we start, though, consider pausing those notifications. Allow yourself to be transported to an old log cabin in the Rocky Mountains in the rain. And listen while you're relaxing by a crackling fire, waxing your skis, or preparing a hot coffee for Dawn Patrol. We'll catch you on the trails. Welcome to the 10th biennial Grassroots Advocacy Conference. We've been doing this for a long time. I think since 2002. I'm not sure how the math actually works out, but um, every other year. And I'm really excited to hear from Connor, Connor Ryan, who just opened up a beverage, also known as Sacred Stoke in the in the uh, inter interwebs world. And uh, he's a Natives Outdoors athlete, an Icon Pass athlete. He's been named one of the 20 most influential people in the outdoor industry by Outside Magazine, so influential dude. Um, I first reached out to Connor, I don't know, four or five years ago. We were doing one of our trail break magazines that we do twice a year. And we've early on, we tried to sort of figure out a way to do a, a land acknowledgement of some kind, since all of our work is based in these places that have these long histories. Um, and, and just even the concept of public lands is pretty fraught when you scratch the surface a little bit. So we tried to actually get people who have an indigenous perspective to write a land acknowledgement for us. And I reached out to Connor and he was already too famous for us. And, and so he, he pawned us off on uh, um, McKelly Oliver, who's become a really good friend too. And she had pictures of Connor. So we did have a picture of Connor in, our, in that trail break. But anyway, over the years, we've met up a few times and it's been really great working together and I'm just super impressed with everything Connor's doing. And so I'm gonna hand it over to you. Connor Ryan, <clears throat> so I will, what I said to you there uh, in Lakota is that I, I greet all you relatives with a good hand and a good heart. Uh, my name is Connor Ryan, and I come from the Lakota Nation, uh, the Hunkapapa Band tribe, um, and I'm a common man, and I, I come from what my people call Heska, uh, the great whites, if you will, uh, which is these Rocky Mountains that we find ourselves in. Um, I was born and raised uh, in, in Boulder, Colorado, and uh, I learned how to ski over at Eldora. I don't know how many, uh, what, what the pipeline is of Eldora skiers to professional skiers, um, but I'd imagine it's a lot less than, than some of the other places, so it feels like a, like a special small place to, to be from, and uh, these mountains here really, uh, you know, are, are one of my one of my first teachers, so as, as I talked to David and I talked to the, the folks at, at Winter Wildlands, you know, they were like, uh, I, I think uh, it, it's funny because we kind of started our relationship through, uh, <laughs> you say I was too famous to write your land acknowledgement. I would say uh, I, I'm a speaker, 
not a writer, <laughs> which is a lot of why I pass you along to my, to my college-educated friend um, so she could write something for you. Uh, I, I, I tend to take after uh, the, the oral traditions of my culture. Um, you know, one of my biggest heroes uh, was a guy named Russell Means um, from the American Indian Movement, another Lakota. Um, and he used to always say when he wrote things, he'd say, this is something I said and later wrote down. Um, so that's, that's kind of me and my way and my approach of things. Um, and so as we discuss this idea of a land acknowledgement, kind of again, uh, Winter Wildlands has sort of been on that, that journey with me of uh, you know, including Spirit of the Peaks and the writing and the, the speaking and the work that I've done. Uh, I, I came into this space originally you know, advocating for this idea uh, of the land acknowledgement and then uh, through, through a lot of hard work, I believe, at, at Natives Outdoors, um, we, we really saw that take, take root um, in a cool way. And then uh, it went from taking root to being like a bit of a noxious weed. <laughs> With, and I mean that as a, in the best way as the indigenous person in the room. Uh, it's really weird. Sometimes when you're on a Zoom call and everybody's got to do the land acknowledgement of where they're at, and you're like, uh, I'm here on my traditional homelands. <laughs> I'd like to acknowledge myself and my mom. Um, and so uh, as we talked about kicking off this, con this conference and finding a way to, to acknowledge the place that, that we are, um, I, I was excited to, to really be able to lean into, I, I think, more than, than uh, just kind of putting a pin on a map. Uh, which is often what I feel uh, a land acknowledgement does. And I, I think sometimes even in the wrong hands, I don't know how many of you will know uh, this terminology, but uh, when you're the indigenous person in the room and someone else is doing the land acknowledgement, are you like, you're like, is this an acknowledgement or are you counting coup? Um, <laughs> and in our traditions, that, that's uh, when you would go and tap someone. Uh, with a special stick after you defeated them in battle to, to mark that, uh, you know, you defeated them. Um, and, and sometimes it could feel that way. Um, and and I, I find it really interesting because uh, as a Lakota in particular, as a Native American, uh, I feel that very often people are looking for me to have this very spiritual take on things. Uh, and I'm a deeply spiritual person, but in a way that I feel is is often misunderstood. Most people uh, either understand spirituality through the lens of maybe religion or uh, coming from my experience growing up in Boulder, Colorado, uh, that it might be filtered through, through crystals and, you know, uh, all sorts of, uh, you know, meditation practices and blah, blah, blah. And for me, uh, really the, the most spiritual ceremony in my life, or, or at least one of them, ha has been skiing. Um, and that started for me right here, like I said. Uh, there's about, I don't know, maybe a mile, two miles as a crow flies uh, between the place I learned how to ski and the place that I, that I first went to Sweat Lodge. Um, and something that I came to learn through, through years of going to traditional sweat lodges and, and learning the language, learning the customs, learning the practices of my people, and, and for me, it's really a process of, of relearning as someone who 
is an urban native. A lot of people don't know this, but you know, 80% of Native Americans in the United States actually live in urban areas as opposed to on reservations. Uh, but, but for those of us who, who are in that situation, um, the, the process of connecting with the land, connecting with your culture can be something that's really difficult. And that was something I chose to take on as a young man, uh, you know, not to get too deep into it, but my, my family's history, you know, includes that of the boarding schools and, you know, cutting my grandfather's hair and washing his mouth out with soap for speaking our language. So uh, to, to be able to bridge that gap was a really important thing to me. And the same season that, that I got my first pair of skis that, that I owned, I should say, I, I got a little experience as a kid on some rentals and whatnot, um, was the first season that I, that I got back to my cultural ways as well. And in that sweat lodge, I, I learned this, this practice, um, which we call Wochekia. And Wochekia means in a, in a very simple like dictionary translation, it, it gets translated to, to pray. But in, in Lakota, in our language, um, it, it's a very interesting language in that when you make a word, uh, every word in Lakota is, is a compound of all the syllables, right? It's an equation. So each syllable has a meaning. And you put the syllables together and that equation uh, comes to make the word, right? And so our word for prayer actually really more translates to acknowledging our relationship too. Um, and so it's funny to have so many times been in the position to, to do a, a land acknowledgement or an opening prayer or some of those things uh, when what really feels most natural uh, is to acknowledge our relationship. And for me, for so much of my spirituality, uh, it is acknowledging that, that relationship and, and allowing yourself uh, to feel the emotional connection that comes with relationship. Um, and, and particularly our relationship to our relatives that are other than human or more than human um, and, and how they bond us to, to one another. And so in Lakota, we have this, this really important practice or, or, or saying, uh, which is mini with chauni. Um, and some of you may be familiar with that, with that idea from, from the Standing Rock protests in 2016. Um, but, but the meaning of that essentially uh, is water is life, right? Uh, but, but even the word mani, as I talked about before, every syllable having a meaning, well, that actually breaks down into three parts for us. And so mani, which we call water, uh, doesn't just mean water. When we break it down, the, the three sounds within there, m, n, and e, all have their own meaning. And the combined meaning of those is essentially acknowledging that this is this, this common thing which gives life to all things. Um, and that was something that, as someone who grew up in Denver and Boulder, uh, I didn't have a college education. I dropped out after my first semester. Um, I didn't really have like a truly deeply connected understanding of that uh, until the time that my uncle... We're sitting in Netherlands. We're about a mile away from Eldora. Uh, and he asked me to go fill the bucket for Sweat Lodge, and take it over to the stream. So I take this stream over to the bucket. 
and I dip it down in there. I start filling the bucket and I look upstream and that stream leads straight to Eldora. And I've just finished my first season on my own, uh, you know, my first season with a ski pass back at this place that I learned as a kid. Uh, and I realized all this water that was going in my bucket was probably the water that I'd touched before. And I took it back and, and I brought it to the lodge and I was kind of stunned by that. And I'm like, maybe this mini thing's starting to make a little sense. And then uh, this happened to be one of the first times that my uncle explained to me, uh, you know, when you're in a sweat lodge, it's, it's dark, it's contained. Um, there's not a whole lot of room for air to get in or out. And you're in there with all these hot rocks. And so if you're not careful doing a sweat lodge, you accidentally throw some coals in the middle or, you know, you bring in a little piece of burning wood with the rocks. Uh, it could be really dangerous, right? And you could suffocate everybody in there. And so there's some first timers at that lodge that day. And my uncle explains to them, oh, don't you worry. Like, you're never going to suffocate in here because we're throwing this, this water on the rocks, some of this that comes off of this steam, right? What's in that water? The H2 and the O. Well, you just go ahead and breathe some of that O that comes off when we throw this on here. And, and you know, don't worry about how fresh the air is in a sweat lodge. It's going to come over you really quickly. And you're going to start to understand why in Lakota we, we call this, this ceremony anikagapi. And anikagapi means the making of new breath. And so we participate in this in order to immerse ourselves in this, this cycle that's really uh, the cycle which sustains all of life, right? This, this exchange of hydrogen and oxygen and carbon um, that we're really just swapping, right, between ourselves and, and the trees and, you know, the rivers and the organisms and everything around us. For me, that was really where this connection that's, that's led me to where I'm at and led me to the work that I do began. Um, with this idea of like, wait, like, as much as I think I'm me, I'm the place that's animating me. And to me, I, I think that is so much of the goal that I would share with other people in, in why do a land acknowledgement? Why acknowledge the, the people who have been a part of this really long story? I love that you put it that way earlier, David, because... I think I've said that to you before. <laughs> like, if we can just see ourselves as a part of this long story that we're participating in, uh, I think that's kind of the magic to, to all of us being able to find a way, um, whether it's in the practices of our work or our play um, or our advocacy, to, to kind of re-indigenize our collective culture, right? And, and to me, as a Lakota, that's so much a, of what culture is, um, is about having this, this collective understanding of our bond to one another and to the place. And so if we're able to lean into understanding the lengths of the stories that we're a part of, that as we're in this place here and we walk around these grounds, if you find the trees that, that are old enough, and you know that the aspen groves probably certainly are, maybe not the individual aspens, but the, but the groves as a whole are some of the oldest living organisms that we have on earth, um, those trees that are giving you oxygen to breathe and, and you're giving them carbon, right? And you're both making your, your life uh, from the water. 
that same process is the process that sustained you people and Arapaho people and Cheyenne people who lived here uh, for since time immemorial. Um, and I think it's really important as we're in this era of trying to discern the right ways forward that we once again ground ourselves in those priorities that, that necessitate culture, right? Um, these, these shared commonalities that, that allow us to make decisions uh, for, for generations and generations and generations ahead of us. Um, and, and to me, as I look and, and reflect on, like, what is the gap uh, that, that I see between indigenous culture and, and a, a colonized culture, what's sometimes called a Western culture, um, it tends to be that, that length at which we're looking into the, the reflection that nature provides us. Um, and, and I think that everybody in the room, probably based on the work that you're doing, uh, you're the kind of people who, who are capable uh, of looking deeply um, and, and starting to shift that decision-making in such a way that reflects indigenous values, um, but reflects them maybe in a way very similar to how we learn them. Now let's take a moment to thank our backcountry partners who make this podcast possible. Dan Bailey's Outdoor Company, a cornerstone of the Livingston, Montana community, has been keeping rivers wild and people dirty since 1938. They share Winter Wildlands Alliance's passion for wild places by helping you experience them. They work to get more butts on bikes, more feet in ski and hiking boots, and more fly rods in hands. They believe everyone should have the chance to feel reverence for wild places and get dirty outside. If you're gearing up for your next outdoor adventure, look no further than Dan Bailey's Outdoor Company. Visit their website at danbaileys.com to explore their offerings, including fishing reports, hiking trail reports, their blog, and a full online store. They work hard to source their products from local creators and companies that value sustainability and conservation. And if you're in their Livingston, Montana neighborhood, take advantage of their in-person services, from bike and ski rentals to custom gear fitting, a full-service fly shop, and unforgettable guided fishing trips. For more information, again, that's danbaileys.com, or check them out on Instagram at dan underscore baileys underscore outdoor underscore co. So I'm kind of just curious of everybody who's in the room, how many of y'all have been on like a multi-day or a multi-week expedition? Yeah, that's what I guess for this room. I had you all pegged. Okay, cool. Well, for me, I think uh, those expeditions have really been one of the things that, that has shown me uh, the, the biggest window into what I think my ancestors understood, right? And, and so I do a lot of expeditions that put me in the Alpine. Um, and it's this really funny dichotomy of being in the Alpine where you're like entirely surrounded uh, by water uh, and it's all frozen though and basically like going on a ski expedition is primarily melting water um, and like maybe you will get out of that like a couple of cool ski lines like you'll see in my film later uh, but really most of it is just kind of this process of uh, 
quickly kind of adapting yourself to the place. And, and when you're on an expedition, you quickly kind of come up with these roles that everybody's going to take within a group. Maybe somebody's a guide and, you know, they're the big route planning focused person. Um, when, when we did Spirit of the Peaks, we had a really awesome guide very experienced in the San Juans. He was great. Um, maybe you've got somebody else who's really dialed with camp cooking uh, and that they've got the meal planning figured out. And, and you all sort of sort to figure out your roles. And, and for me on that trip, as much as I would like to be the cool professional skier guy with all the know-how, um, I hadn't done a lot of expeditions in the Alpine at, at that point, was that like three seasons ago? Uh, so I was just the melt the water guy. Um, and it really was one of the most defining things for me and what I wanted to choose as the focuses and, and the emphasis of this film, um, which is that like, you quickly realize on an expedition, like these are our parameters and our limitations based on our ability to access resources immediately where we are. And, and I feel like that's a really cool training initiative for us to dip our toes for a minute um, in, into what it would have like, what it would have been like uh, wherever we come from, because everybody comes from somewhere. Uh, I am always quick to emphasize uh, that I'm half Irish. Um, proud of that heritage as well and how that connects in with the history of, uh, of colonization because, um, you know, I hope it presents this idea that we can all see that we're all indigenous to somewhere at some point. Um, and, and the Druid culture uh, in Ireland was a really deep indigenous culture that happened to share a lot of the same principles with, with my Lakota culture. Um, so with all that in mind, I, I think the expedition kind of shows us what it was like for a moment to be indigenous, right? But imagine that you're on that expedition your whole life. Imagine that you're on that expedition with people who have been on that expedition for their whole life. And that the entire aim of your life will then be to ensure that the expeditions that happen after yours are able to be successful, that they're able to be possible. How then would you consider where you gather water where you do number ones, where you do number twos, right? All these things start to become really complex systems uh, of decision-making that are based around our role in the ecology. Um, and, and, you know, it's so funny how often I think in this space, uh, I find myself kind of cornered into this place of like being uh, asked to talk about access to nature, right? And getting folks outdoors. Um, and the funniest thing to me about accessing nature is like, and the way that, that we talk about it is in Lakota, we had no word for nature, right? It wasn't a concept that we could even grasp because uh, you could never go to it. You could never leave it, right? And the same is actually true for all of us now. Like, what do you mean connect with nature? Like, does that mean like go talk to a bear, a deer, some organism, right? Like, you're an organism produced by the earth. The same as them. Every molecule within your body was, was a part of this planet. And most of those molecules have been in the trees, have been in the oceans, have been in the fish, the four-legged. You got molecules in you right now that were inside of bugs, right? <laughs> you got molecules in you right now that were other things poop. 
like a million years ago, right? So like, you're nature. <laughs> you are that, right? And it's funny, yesterday I was talking about this in a fancy building in Burlington, Vermont, where I had to like remind people uh, the lumber that this building is made of, you know, we're relatives. In, in Lakota, we call them chan oyate, the trees, the standing nation, right? And we call them a nation because they have an inherent sovereignty of their own, right? A right to exist. But in the building that we find ourselves in today, it's pretty easy to see, to remember uh, that this is the forest, right? That this is a reflection of nature, right? And some of our reflections of nature, you know, you get in the city. I flew, uh, I had a layover at JFK this morning on my way here, um, right? And every building in New York City, all the asphalt, all the concrete, all that something pulled out of nature somewhere as well. So if we can't see nature in the places that we are, it's so often about the reflections of what have we done to nature? What have we chosen to put together as the shelter on this expedition that we're all on together? Um, and so I find that to be, to be a really humbling concept, this, this idea that, that truly we can't leave it. So we have to learn how to live with the decisions that we're making about it. And, and I think anybody who's been on an expedition, anybody who, you know, I'm sure a lot of you are decision makers for, for pieces of land or, or are advocates and voices for, for sections and areas of land. Um, and and it, becomes, it becomes possible to, to kind of start to make our own reflections in these places again. And so I'd let you just... Just hope that you could be urged by, uh, by that, that expedition that you've been on, by those journeys that you've been on to start putting that, that reflection that, that I think is in all of you, the, the nature within you, uh, into the policy making that, that you're doing, into the hopes and the aspirations that you have. Um, because I, I think it's, it's so fundamental to who we are as human beings to actually be a part of that circle. Right to be a part of that that continuation and that process, and to learn once again how to be ecology ourselves, um, and, and to be ecological beings, to be human beings instead of human doings um, out in this this world. And, and you know, I think this is this is a room full of a lot of people who have the ability to to impact those things, and that that comes with like a commitment, you know, as you're choosing who you'd be on, a, on an expedition with, I'm sure a lot of that would have to do with like, who do you think you can count on to hold up that commitment of, they're going to boil the water for me, right? They're going to melt it for me. They're going to not pee in the vestibule. Like, <laughs> who, can we, who can we count on in these ways? And how do we also learn to be uh, the people ourselves who live up to those commitments that we would want to see from others. Um, and so I'd just like to share, oh, I actually wrote this down so I wouldn't have to read it off the phone. Um, I'd like to share maybe just a couple ideas. And I'm sure one more time I I'm going to take a poll in here. Um, how many people in this room have read a book called Braiding Sweetgrass by Robin Wall Kimmerer? All right, for those of you who don't have your hands raised, Note the peer group, so many of them have read it. 
it's an incredible it's an incredible story and i uh not a sto- i guess it's a series of short stories is probably the way to put it um but it's a book that i think uh is really one of these galvanizing things of our time and and it's kind of introducing because she is a potawatomi professor scientist um it's really introducing this beautiful place where i think our worlds of traditional ecological knowledge and what we've learned on this collective expedition as indigenous people on this particular continent, in this particular ecology for, in many cases, 10,000 years or more, um, and taking that, that field of knowledge and merging it very quickly uh, with, with what we know from science. And, and I think the, the thing that it most reveals to me is our opportunity now as, as people who influence policy, as people who ask for, for science to be at the center of the decision-making that we're doing is also for us to acknowledge and incorporate the fact that the way that people lived on this expedition, just like you might have lived on your expedition or in your field work or in whatever you've done, uh, they were living science. That is what traditional ecological knowledge is. This is over tens of thousands of years, people realizing within their environment, wait, we've got this question. We've got this hypothesis. We're going to try it this way. And we're going to observe and we're going to learn. And that's going to create our culture. And we have a really deep cultural void in this time. A time when, you know, it's very hard uh, to, to come up with a collective narrative, to decide collectively, these are what the facts are. And we all agree on this. Um, and that makes it a dark time, and it makes it a scary time in some ways. Uh, but the dark times are also the times with the greatest potentiality for us to set a new floor and be able to say, oh, this, because of the peril we're in now, can be the floor of this is our standard from here on out. This is, this is the culture we want to collectively carry forward. And the way to... To do that best, I believe, you know, is to put our expedition hats on again and for us to incorporate this this traditional ecological knowledge to listen to the people who've been on the expedition forever so that the people after us who, who step into these wild and beautiful places get to go on the expedition as well. Um, so Robin Wall Kimmerer, uh, she has this amazing quote within her book, and it's kind of her, her uh, commitments, if you will, that, that I would just like to share with you uh, of maybe some, some ground rules that we can take forward from here uh, to, to define not only our actions, but our aspirations. And I think, you know, become that, that basis uh, of a new culture in the outdoors uh, that, that can be inclusive, and one that acknowledges our relationship, uh, our relationship as individuals to the ecology that we're participating in and our relationship to the indigenous people uh, wherever we're at who've practiced this in such a way um, that you could, you know, simultaneously call the Indian Peaks a wilderness <laughs> and also name it after Indians. Um, for, for those of you I'm sure everybody in the room probably knows this, but the, the U.S. government, uh, in their definition of wilderness, 
they include this quote, uh, untrammeled by man. Um, and I just find that really funny. You know, maybe it points to the way that they didn't see us as quite human at the time. Um, or maybe it just points to to an arrogance or an, ignor- an ignorance. But, uh, you know, my favorite uh, wilderness area in this state is the Weminuch. Um, right across, you'll, you'll get to see some glimpses of it in Spirit of the Peaks. But ironically enough, they wouldn't let a Native American film crew film in the Weminuch wilderness because it needs to remain untrammeled by man, even though the Weminuch is the Ute word for the Ute Mountain Ute tribe. Um, so with those ironies in mind, <laughs> I'm hoping that we can, we can share in these, uh, these collective commitments together from, from this amazing teacher, Robin Wall Kimmerer. So she says, know the ways of the ones who take care of you so that you may take care of them. Introduce yourself. Be accountable as the one who comes asking for life. Ask permission before taking and abide by that answer. Never take the first, never take the last. Take only what you need, take only what is given. Never take more than half. Use it respectfully and never waste. Give thanks for what you have been given and give a gift in reciprocity for what you have taken. And if you sustain the ones who sustain you, the earth will last forever. Thank you. Today's episode was produced and edited by Tess Goodwin directed by Winter Wildlands Alliance Operations Coordinator Emily Scott and hosted by me, Winter Wildlands Alliance Executive Director David Page. Our music is by Rattlesnake Breachers, featuring our snow school director, Carrie McClay, on mandolin. Find them on Instagram at Rattlesnake Breachers. Thanks to our speaker, Connor Ryan. Find him at Sacred Stoke on Instagram. Find more of his work at nativesoutdoors.org and watch his film, Spirit of the Peaks, on YouTube. Thank you again to our conference sponsors, Outdoor Alliance, Mighty Arrow Foundation, REI, and our episode sponsor and backcountry partner, Dale Sexton at Dan Bailey's Outdoor Company. And thank you for listening to Trailbreak Radio. Winter Wildlands Alliance is a national nonprofit organization working to inspire and empower people from Alaska to Vermont to protect America's wild snowscapes. Find more Winter Wildlands Alliance content, become a member, and support our work. Check out our website at winterwildlands.org. Next up, we dive into the complexity of managing climate-resilient forests and sustainable recreation in the context of intensifying and lengthening wildfire seasons. 